Hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of A Tasty Meaning. This is the third episode of season two, and we got a really exciting guest coming on later. But before we talk to her, um, Charlie and I wanted to talk about this weekend we just had. So Charlie and I took a trip to try yakitori. And um, if you guys are, you know, um, season fans, you may have heard that last season we did talk about it one episode and we brought up the idea of like, oh my God, we should just go to that place you really like, Charlie, and try it. And boom, <laughs> we did it. And honestly, it was a crazy experience. Uh, before we jumped into how I felt, I want Charlie to like set the scene and like explain like what happened. Yeah, yeah. So it this past weekend, um, it was my birthday. And so I, I wanted to go down to one of my favorite restaurants down in San Diego um, called Yakitori Taisho. And uh, I was really happy just because like with the whole pandemic and everything, I it's a really small restaurant. And so I wasn't sure if they're going to be open, you know, or not for in, in, in dining. And so luckily they were, and I wanted to bring Martin uh, just cause wanted to open up his eyes and world <laughs> to Yakitori, uh, the beauties of all Yakitori, which is, uh, if y'all are not sure what it is, it is a sort of Japanese based barbecue um, where, you know, different types of meat or veggies are put on skewers and then are put on these sort of like maybe like smaller type of grills that, has sort of like a charcoal base to it. And then they'll, they'll typically marinate some of these different uh, meats and veggies, and then they'll put it on the grill and they'll sort of t- turn it slowly, as, you know, as they go along to cook it. And it's pretty great. Um, and I was actually happy when we got there that they expanded their restaurant. Um, Cause usually it was just like a little small, you know, area that you just had a little bar and maybe like two or three tables. Now they expanded a whole different section, more tables, which was really awesome to see for them that they're growing. And, you know, bringing in Martin and his partner, we got, we got in there, we got a nice seat, had reservations. And from there, I'd love to hear just like Martin's experience after we ordered the food. <laughs> it, it was amazing. So like he brings up a good point with the, char- the charcoal smoky taste because when I first, the first thing we tried was I think chicken neck, right? Or geezers. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, chicken gizzards. Gizzards. Mm-hmm. So that was the first thing we tried, right? And as soon as I ate, I was like, wow, this reminds me of like Mexican food, because when we would barbecue, we would use like the charcoal and the smoky taste, right? And all the, the Korean barbecue restaurants I've been to have always been, you know, not the same style, like it's just like the burner. So you don't really get that smoky charcoal taste. So it was really like, it kind of made me remember, you know, growing up and like doing barbecues in Mexico like when we would ever visit on the weekend or something and like trying that we felt like wow this like brings this is like brings back a little bit of memories but also like giving me something new and then we just kept ordering more and more we tried um what are those octopus balls that we had like the oh uh, the um takoyakis yeah those things were bomb like, that, like yeah, that's one I'm, of my favorites I'm, I'm happy you warned me that it's really warm inside because i was just gonna like down the whole thing in my mouth and bite. that would have been a bad idea yeah it, the heat would just gushed out into my mouth yeah you would have had like a fruit gusher yeah. uh, burning sensation in your mouth for sure yeah right and the the my favorite word the chicken necks like that thing mm. was so good and they're like they're pretty small portions mm-hmm, but like mm-hmm. everything is so packed of a punch like you can really tell that these people have a lot of talent and experience and like have over the years mastered how to cook these pieces of like different types of meat because they utilize the entire body of the animal, mm-hmm. right? Like they have 
like where we were sitting, they had an entire chicken diagram pointing out the different parts of the chicken that they serve. And it was like the whole body. And oh, it was it was a great experience. Um, you know, the premium beef was great. My girlfriend said it looked like chocolate. <laughs> that was really funny. The pork belly, phenomenal. You know, mm-hmm. can't go wrong with some good pork belly. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we had the bacon asparagus, which oh, yeah. was pretty good, not gonna lie. Yeah. Usually I get kind of scared getting something wrapped in bacon because like it's always a risk. Uh, yeah. But that was good. The quail egg. <laughs> Towards the end, yeah, wow. that was su- that was surprising. That for me. was surprisingly mm-hmm. good. Like I was like, okay, because it's not it's a quill egg, right? So it's really small compared to a regular mm-hmm. like chicken egg. But it was like it was hard boiled outside, but soft boiled inside. Mm-hmm. And like once you bite into it, like it just it had a, such a great taste. Like yeah, everything there, like nothing was bad. Like I love the whole experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I I wasn't sure how I was gonna feel like going back to that place after a really long time having not gone there because I'm always worried that like, Oh crap, I hope it's as good as I remember it or it's going to yeah. you know meet the expectation that I have for it. And it, it certainly did. I mean, it, it honestly felt like the first time I had ate, eaten there where it was so just comforting. And like, I, I think that taste is always iconic for me of that mm-hmm. taste of like that charcoal mixed with the marinade that they have, which is kind of like a little bit sweet. And it's just like, it hits perfect and yeah i'm happy that i got to introduce that to you and sort of share that with you because that's probably one of my favorite things like i i love doing is to introduce food places to different people and actually get to sit down and, and try it with them and kind of mm-hmm. see what their reactions are i don't know i really love that feeling. no and it's it's true because that's how our friendship developed even more right like i think you kind of took me under your wing because you realized huh this guy hasn't had anything so you're able to like just introduce me to like your your daily favorites or like stuff that you grew up eating, which is really fun. Like the first time we did something was that Avocado House mm-hmm, restaurant, mm-hmm. which was like it was like a, it was such a spring of the moment type thing. We weren't planning on like doing anything that day, like up to the point where we were going to meet up. And we just decided to go to like try this caramel toast, uh, French toast mm-hmm. breakfast dish, which was like so fun and like sweet. And then we got like... Um, what was it? So what kind of tea did we get? Was it Thai tea? Probably. I don't, I'm trying to think back. Like <laughs> well, we, when, we tried tea. Ago. We yeah. tried tea and I'm not used to drinking tea, especially like, um, like uh, unless it's like boba or something. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So like all the stuff that you've been introducing me to, it was like, it's always like a new experience because I didn't grow up eating it. So it was always, it's always fun. And I think yeah. it, it really like shows in this podcast mm-hmm. <laughs> why we make it, but no, I, I'm, I had, the best of times and i kept telling everybody about it right because everyone like commented on the picture i posted oh i'm like i'm like they're like what is it? i'm like it's japanese barbecue is jakitori you gotta go get it it's just yeah. so good and and it's cool because like the the culture even around like yakitori is you know like when when i went to japan um several years ago like I really wanted to go to like a yakitori bar and, and that's what it's typically like in Japan where like you go to a, um, a kind of a bar type setting, like how we went to, and you know, they'll have um, people who go to eat yakitori, but they'll also be drinking alcohol. And it will be kind of like that sort of like social environment where like, you know, you're just kind of chilling there with people with, you know, people from work or just friends and you're drinking, you're eating yakitori and it's just sort of like a cool environment to be in um, and that's what it felt like in japan too it's like it, the place is just sort of like packed and busy and you would just order yakitori see them cook it even yeah and then people were just like drinking and have a good time yeah do you think 
a lot in American culture offers that same experience? Or um, similar? I mean, like, you know, you have like bars and, and stuff like that. Um, but it, it, it's interesting now, like with different bars um, in the States where it's, it, it's mainly the alcohol is the focus That's as opposed to, yeah. yeah, I mean, you'll have like places where you'll have like wine and food, which, you know, that makes sense. But then typically when you go to drink, at least from my experience, I don't drink, I don't drink at all, but like just going to go to those bars, is just like the focus is alcohol and not so much like the types of food you're complimenting with the alcohol. Yeah. Okay. At least that's been my experience. I know for like us, well, I don't, I don't really drink. Yeah. Either, like... <laughs> we're, we're probably the worst to ask about this. <laughs> Men come back. <laughs> um, but for, I know like growing up how it was, um, if you go to like a um, taqueria, like a taco stand on the side, you'll order your tacos and you'll get like a beer or something, right? To go with it. Or if you're cooking the food yourself, you know, the adults, like the, the, the eldest men would be the one cooking it and they'll be drinking while they're cooking, right? Like one hand mm-hmm. is, a, mm-hmm. is the beer and the other hand is like the, the tongs or the spatula oh, yeah. with meat, you know? Mm-hmm. So like, that's how it was for us growing up, like that combination. So like me seeing how, because like, a lot of Asian barbecues I've learned are very social, right? Yes, Korean barbecue, yes. uh, yakitori, like it was mm-hmm. very much like that where it's a social setting where it's meant for you to like basically spend the night with your friends. Mm-hmm. You're eating mm-hmm. and drinking. And I spoke to one of my friends from Belgium a couple of months back and she was telling me the same thing. Like, yeah, in Europe, when you go out to eat, you're eating for the whole night. Like, you're just eating and drinking, just hanging out with friends. And that's the expectation but here in the United States, it's always like, okay, sit you down, get you out. Sit you down, get you out. Like you can't mm-hmm. stay and enjoy yourself. Like once you're done eating, they pretty much bring the bill. You're done. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like, and, they, and her first experience is like, wait, they're already kicking us out and we barely just ate. It's time to drink, you know? So I think, yeah, the cultures are very different. That is, yeah, that's interesting. I never thought about it that way. Hmm. Yeah. Pretty cool stuff. Well, that was fun. Yeah. Yeah. Can you, Charlie, can you tell us more about this guest we're going to have in a couple minutes? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm really excited to have her. And I think, you know, what people will notice even about this episode is that it's going to feel a little bit different because, you know, we'll have our introduction as we have now, but then we'll have our guests. And then afterwards, we're going to be able to, uh, Martine and I kind of, uh, you know, reflect on, you know, just kind of what mm-hmm. we learned from our guests, what are some takeaways. But um, our guest, uh, she really sort of came about uh, randomly. Um, you know, I'm, I'm on Twitter, I'm scrolling, and then I see this awesome sweater that one of the people I follow is wearing. And it's a sweater, and, and I'm wearing it right now, which I'm really proud of, is it has written across um, different Asian nationalities. So like, you know, for me, it has, it has Thai on there, but also has Chinese, Japanese, Korean, um, Indian, you know, Filipino, different Asian nationalities. And straight down vertically, it has letters highlighted in red as American. And I thought this was super powerful because that's honestly what I've sort of struggled with growing up was, am I Asian? Am I Thai? Or am I American? Or am I both? And I I honestly, growing up, I felt like I was more focused on being American just because that's how my, my parents kind of introduced me to to that was yes we speak thai at home but we're interacting with the world as an american 
And, you know, while everything I'm watching in, on TV and everything I, I see is American. And so that's really all I knew. And it wasn't until maybe like later on in college that I was like, oh, I'm also Thai. And I should also be proud of that. And I think even now as, as where I am in my life, I feel like I'm even more proud of being Thai um, just because there's so much more to my culture and so much more that I grew up with that I, I never even you know, embraced as much as I do now. And, and that sweater really spoke to me because it, it represented what that meant for me. And, uh, and the person who I followed, you know, they shouted out this person who created the sweater. And I was like, dude, I'm going to reach out to her. So I reached out to her and, you know, she was like, yeah, you know, like I'm, I'm, I'm actually, you know, I, we created this um, design based off of a sign that I use when I was protesting um, you know, for uh, anti, uh, anti-Asian rally that was going on. And I was like, dude, that's awesome. And that part had so much meaning to it because it was something that was based off of a really powerful time, mm-hmm. exemplified now into a wearable art. And now I get, I get to represent that. I get to sort of share with other people like, hey, this is what this is about. This is what I'm, I, I feel is important to me and, and the cause of everything. And the now she's actually started up her own like you know instagram page that's actually going to be promoting her wearable art um you know apparel and the proceeds of that are actually going to go to you know a a worthy you know cause in the community that she works in so it's like it it all is is it, it brings together what we're about of just like hey you know what this is something that's of meaning to someone it's actually now outreaching meaning to other people as well and really branching that out more of people can who represent that and so I wanted to bring her on because you know who she is and what she'll be able to talk about for not only what she what she's created with her her different um, partners but also just who she is I mean you know what what she represents and what she's interested in and what you know who she is yeah man and I'm super excited so for everyone listening you know, stay tuned. And after this break, we'll be able to meet Kim. Um, everyone, thank you again for joining us after this break. We are now joined by our amazing guest. Her name is Kim Byrne, and I'll let her introduce herself. Hey guys, I'm Kim. Thank you so much for having me on. Um, quick background about myself. I am a Korean American adoptee. I was adopted when I was six months old. Um, I flew on a plane actually with a whole bunch of other babies. Um, and so I've actually lived in New Jersey for the majority of my life. Um, when I was in school, like in college, I thought that I wanted to be the next Jerry Maguire. I wanted to be a sports agent. Um, and I thought I was going to be leading this field until I realized I had to go to law school. Um, so I quickly, uh, changed my mind and, uh, started, uh, studying education, um, That being said, I have worked for two professional sports teams in my career, um, but currently I do teach elementary education in Newark, New Jersey. Um, I love what I do. And um, and yeah, I I guess that's it. All right, so so you you threw a surprise in there for us. I have to really sort of now uh, acknowledge that. So you work for two sports teams. Uh, Can you share about that? Yeah, sure. Um, I was an account manager for the New Jersey Nets while they were still based in New Jersey. I'm dating myself. 
Um, and then from there, I also worked for the New Jersey Devils, the hockey team. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a huge fan of the NBA. I have been. I will stand by that 1996 was the best draft class. Oh, it is. Um, yep. No, it is. We're not arguing. We already had this talk. Yeah. We had this talk about We're with you. <laughs> um, and so um, it's funny because they say that when you work for a team, you're not supposed to be a fan. Um but when players like Kobe come, you kind of can't help it. Um, and so even on the East Coast, uh, I was a huge fan of his and I'm, I'm not ashamed to say that. Um, it taught me a lot about the world of sports. Um, we had very long days and as much as I appreciate uh, the relationships that I was able to make there, I knew that it wasn't fulfilling what I wanted to fulfill for myself personally. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then I turned to teaching. Cool. Well, hey, you you definitely hit a, a note there that really resonates with Martine and I. We're both uh, huge NBA uh, fanatics as well. And so like that, that's something we definitely click on. Uh, and- unfortunately, my team didn't make it in. I mean, our team technically, yeah, Martine and I's <laughs> teams didn't make it in. So it's unfortunate. <laughs> um, before we jump to the next portion, were you working for the Nets when they were going to the finals? like those two seasons? I worked for the Nets the year they traded Jason Kidd. Okay. Oh, okay. Yep, yep. Imagine how hard it was to sell tickets. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That that was the guy. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Awesome. Um, So let's jump into the food element. You said you're Korean. You did bring up something earlier. Um, You want to talk more about that? Yeah. Um, so I said earlier that I am a Korean American adoptee. Um, I've been in the U.S. since I was a young child, a baby actually, um, and I wasn't exposed to my culture by no fault of my parents. Um, I, it just the in the city that I grew up in, it was predominantly white, um, and so I didn't really have a taste of. Korean food or Korean cuisine until I actually moved there in 2012. Um, quick side note, it was supposed to be a one and done year. Ended up staying for a seven and a half. Mm-hmm. Um, I learned a lot about myself while I was there, um, but mostly I connected with a lot of the food. Um, and if you don't know, the staple food of South Korea is kimchi, um, which is uh in layman's terms, fermented cabbage, which sounds awful, um, but it actually is quite tasty <laughs> and can be used in several different forms. Um, and one of the things that people say about kimchi is that the older it gets, the better it is. Um, and I feel that way kind of about myself. Um, I am 36, I'm not ashamed of it. I don't look it, sometimes I don't act it. Um, but I will say um, through like personal life experiences, um, I've had a lot of personal growth and development. Um, As an educator, I feel that I can bring those experiences to my students um, and help them grow and develop as well. Um, And one thing I believe for all people is that education is an everyday experience. I wake up every day wanting to learn at least something new. It could be one thing, it could be 10 things, it could be a million things. Um, But I think especially now and within the past year or so, I think people really need to um, kind of unlearn and relearn and have the open mindset to do so. Um, so I guess if I could compare myself to a food, it would be kimchi. <laughs> mm. 
That's super meaningful. Um, I, I love that quote that, that you mentioned just because it, it, it is true. I mean, with, with kimchi, I, 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 I'm very curious with uh, kind of your experience with kimchi because you mentioned like you were in Korea and, and ex, um, had it there as well. Like, do you notice that there's sort of a, a different taste or, or sort of like, you know, different, um, any difference with kimchi, whether how long it's been fermented for or just where you've had it at? Um, so I've had the opportunity, a very nice opportunity to uh, travel all over Korea, South Korea. Um, and so depending on the city that you're in, uh, the kimchi has different variants. Mm -hmm. um, there are actually several different kinds of kimchi. I'm sure I have not had all of them. Um, but the most popular ones are like the Napa cabbage, like the... Mm -hmm lettuce looking kimchi. And then there's also like radish kimchi, which is white mm -hmm. and usually comes in like a clear watery type of mm -hmm. uh, substance. It's like water. Um, and so uh, the older the kimchi is, it's made, uh, it's used to make kimchi jjigae. So jjigae mm -hmm. is soup. And so um, when kimchi is freshly made, that's personally my favorite. I love freshly made kimchi. Um, but as it sits and ferments and gets older, um, restaurants and households usually take that older kimchi and put it in a pot with boiling water, some pork, um, uh, onions, scallions, um, and they make the kimchi jjigae, the kimchi soup. Mm. Okay, okay. Yeah, it, it's so interesting. I, I don't think I've ever experienced the the uh, kimchi jjigae part. Um, it's always been, you know, when we go to Korean barbecue, we've had it, you know, as a... Uh, banchan and so it's it's very uh different in that sense and i i've always been curious of like what it's like to have it more fresh uh just because I, I don't know how long restaurants have, have had it for or how fresh it is so that's really interesting that you mentioned that um was there more maybe that you wanted to share based off of um you know your experience with kimchi or just other korean uh, cuisines um i think a lot of the American perception of Korean food is what you said. It is Korean barbecue. Mm -hmm. um, and this is no knock to Korean barbecue. It is delicious. Um, but I would just hope that um, people would be um, kind of cur more curious about other types of Korean food. Um, we have something called pajan, which is uh, the translation is like Korean pancake. It is not like the breakfast pancake. You don't put butter or maple syrup on it. Um, basically it's made with uh, just flour, scallions. Um, and so it resembles a pancake, I, I guess, but um, it comes in different variants. You could get um, a vegetable one, which is just the scallions and the onions. You could get a hamu pajan, which is seafood, um, which usually has like squid and shrimp inside of it. Uh, there's also a kimchi pajan, which is my personal favorite, obviously. <laughs> um, and also, uh, Korea has its own version of dumplings, and dumplings are pretty widespread across um, Japan, China, Hong Kong, um, though, like that specific part of Asia, because Asia is huge. Um, in Korea, we, um, for the word for dumplings is mandu. Um, and so the kimchi mandu is absolutely fantastic and much like other dumplings you could have them either steamed or fried 
So I would encourage those. And I'm going to give a special plug to odeng. Odeng is one of my favorite street foods in Korea. Um, it loosely translates to fish cake, which sounds awful. Um, it is not, I promise. Um, uh, it's usually served on like a sidecar or like a street cart. And if it's like a, a better or kind of like a busier uh, street cart, they'll have um, crab, like an actual live crab in the broth just to give it that extra, um, the extra taste. Um, and Koreans, they like to put the soy sauce into spray bottles. So you can hold your odeng on like a longer chopstick for all intents and purposes and just like spray your oh. odeng. Um, and it's cheap, it's like three for a dollar. So <laughs> I'm gonna plug that. Everyone should go try odeng. Nice, <laughs> nice. Trust me, everything that you just mentioned, I'm going to be putting in our uh, podcast description. And so that way people can go and like check it out or try it someplace. Um, yeah, before, and- before we go to the next topic, I w- because you've been to Korea and you were living there for over seven years, what is one thing you would recommend to someone who's never been to Korea to do or try? Um, one thing I would recommend is to get on the subway and then just get off and explore where you are. Um, the Seoul metro system is uh, fairly new, I want to say in the last 20 to 22 years, um, but it is very easy to navigate everything. If you speak English, everything is in English. Um, there are other languages as well. Um, it is very clean. It is one of the cleanest uh, metro systems I have ever used. Um, and there's always something to do no matter where you get off. Um, and so I would highly recommend, you know, just kind of closing your eyes, pointing your finger on the map and getting off at that, at that stop, um, and then trying whatever street food they have there. Um, to be perfectly honest, before I moved to Korea, I was more of the vegetarian persuasion. Um, I didn't eat a lot of pork or beef just because I didn't, I didn't like it, not for like religious purposes or anything. Um, but then when I got to Korea, and I, this is every time I travel, I think that a huge part of the culture is the food that locals eat. And so once I, once I had it, it was kind of no turning back. Um, and so even if you are a vegan or a vegetarian, Korea does have a lot of those options as well. Um, but yes, I would highly recommend street food and just getting off of the subway. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, that's awesome. I really everything that you kind of talked about really spoke to me as well. Cause I mean, that's one of my dreams is to, to be able to go to, to Asia and explore more and be able to go try street foods. Cause that's so iconic to different countries in, in Asia where it's like, that's where a lot of the sort of locals are, are presenting the food that's meaningful to them. And that's really uh, connecting to who they are, which is through the street foods or in Thailand, they'll have like the, um, the, the markets that are on the boats and then the rest, you know, food um, vendors that are on the boats. Uh, do you mind if I ask if you've had the chance to go to Thailand? I have not. Uh, and I always get bagged on for that by, by people I know. They're like, oh, you haven't been to Thailand? And I was like, no, I, my family grew up there and I was born uh, in the States. And so like I, I've always wanted to go to Thailand and as well as to go to Vietnam as well. Um, I've only been to um, Japan. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I've been to Thailand too. Ah, <laughs> jealous. And, and Vietnam three times. <laughs> yep, 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 yep. So I'll definitely have to uh, hit you up when I go to get some some good tips. <laughs> Charlie, if you need a friend, I'll go with you. Oh yeah, is that right? Okay, cool. No, I'm I mean, serious. I'll go too. <laughs> I'm serious. I, I need. I want to go, but I'm also afraid to go. But I'm like, I don't know anything. <laughs> 
So we're going to do a taste of meeting uh, adventure. Yes. I see. Yes. Okay. <laughs> cool. So definitely would love to transition a little bit now to, um, to hear more about just sort of your, your career path now um, in your work. You mentioned teaching. Um, and so can you share a little bit more about what that experience has been like for you? Yeah, sure. Um, so in 2012, I moved to Korea to teach English. Um, and as I said earlier, it was supposed to be one year. I ended up falling in love with it. I stayed there for seven and a half years. Um, and then I decided to come home because my sister was having a baby. And so she said, if I want to be the godmother, I have to be present and here physically. So she guilt tripped me <laughs> into coming back. So I, I did come back uh, fairly recently, uh, November of 2019. Um, I finally came back to the US. Um, and so I knew I wanted to teach. I knew I wanted to teach in underserved communities. Uh, that's where I felt that I was gonna have the most impact, where I was gonna be able to connect the most with uh, my students. Um, and by a friend's recommendation, I ended up applying to a KIPP school. Um, KIPP New Jersey, or I'm sorry, KIPP as a whole is a huge network of charter schools across the country. Um, I work specifically for KIPP New Jersey, KIPP Miami um, in Newark. New Jersey. Um, and so I applied, I interviewed, I did a live class and I ended up getting the job. Hmm. Um, I was relieving somebody uh, for maternity leave. Um, and then in March of 2020, we went virtual. So unfortunately I only got to teach in, in person for about two months until we uh, mm -hmm. got thrown on Zoom. Um, and then uh, I was extended a rehire for uh, the following school year. So I am very proud and honored to say that, yes, I am still uh, teaching um, at KIPP New Jersey. Um, and so once the Atlanta shootings happened, my school leader had called me and said, can you speak about this in tomorrow's morning huddle? And I, asked her, if I did not work here, would you be having this conversation? And she mm -hmm. said, no, probably not. And I, I chalked up my confidence and I was like, uh, I kind of nicely said, but verbatim, that's not a me problem, that's a you problem. And so she said, you're absolutely right. Um, we need to do better. And so I did end up speaking about it the following morning. Um, and that weekend, I believe it was March 21st, was the uh, Black and Asian Solidarity Run, the first run that I had attended. Um, and so uh, one of my coworkers actually came out with me, which was like very nice and very supportive, and I appreciate that. Um, but my, I think it clicked for me. It it clicked for me because I am one of the only Asian teachers in the school. I work with amazing uh, black and brown men and women. Um, but it also, also had dawned on me that I, as much as I support them, they should in turn support me. And, and that's not to say that they don't, um, but it's more of like bringing awareness to what's happening. Um, it's one thing to know what's happening in Atlanta. It's another to know that this has been happening before Atlanta. Um, and so my, what had happened was in my, in my mind, 
I didn't realize that I needed this when I was in second grade. And so I would be doing a disservice to my students if I didn't bring it to their attention because um, once they get older, they're not gonna be shielded by their parents anymore. And they, we, we live in communities where they are exposed to media. They're exposed to media on YouTube, on regular TV. Some of them even have Instagrams. They have their own iPhones at seven years old. And so at some point, they're, they're going to see it, they're going to hear about it. If we can talk about Black Lives Matter with them, then we're gonna talk about Stop Asian Hate. Um, and uh, I infused that into my uh, everyday lessons with them. Um, and it just so happened that one family that I taught was of Pakistani descent. And so during Ramadan and Eid, they were more than happy to come on Zoom be involved with our class, talk about their culture, talk about Eid and their holidays, their foods, their traditions. Um, and this was really heightened during the month of May because uh, it was AAPI Heritage Month. Um, so we spent every single day learning about a new country, a new city, traditional wear, whether it was um, a hanbok or a kimono or learning about holidays like holy. Um, I wanted I wanted them to be exposed to that because when they're older, they are going to be exposed to it. And I, if I can be the one that changes one kid's mind, or if, like I said earlier, if when I learn something new, I want them to learn something new. Um, and it's it's cute because uh, this actually made me really tear up. Whatever we talk about in the morning meeting, um, sometimes the kids will text me. Yes, they have my personal phone number. Um, they'll text me and, and look, say like, look, Miss Byrne, we, we learned about this today in class. And they all, they're all on TikTok. They are more tech savvy than I am. But it, it, really, it really like fills my heart with so much joy because it, it shows me they're actually listening and not just showing up. They're actually present, they're engaged. And so for them to send me TikTok videos of things that we've talked about in class, I was like, I am doing, this is what I need to be doing. And I didn't know I needed this when I was their age. So I don't know. Did I go Ooh. off? No, no, that, that was <laughs> this is all powerful. the things. Yeah, that yeah. was really powerful. Oh, I, I, you know, there was a lot that really stood out to me in terms of just like the, the intention behind just sort of how you teach and, and, and sort of, especially in the, in, in light of everything that's going on, where even some of the different states around the U.S. like they're they they stopped even talking about like critical race theory and it's like it, it's stuff like that that really is is challenging because it's like these are things where like you said they're going to be exposed to it eventually at some point whether it's going to be in a good perception or in a bad perception and mm -hmm. if you're able to really bring that perspective of hey let's uplift and enrich all the different cultures that are out there and when they meet someone who's of that culture, they could be like, oh, hey, I learned about that. Like, can you share more? As opposed to seeing like, oh, well, they're different. They're just, there's someone that's not similar to me. So I'm just going to disregard them or dismiss them. So I think the, the power and the intention that you have behind how you teach is so impactful. And that's what really stood out to me. Yeah. And I appreciate that. Um, one of the things that I pushed for, especially for next year, was I wanted more inclusive content in our curriculum. Um, so I had sat down with my assistant principal and I had said to her, if I'm going to lead the read aloud section of our 
you know, our classrooms um, and lesson plan for it, I want there to be representation, not just Asian representation. I want Latinx, I want disabled, I want black representation. So when the kids open the books, they say, hey, that looks like me. And so but regardless of what the skill is, I want them to visually see that, hey, I'm in this book too, um, because I can remember, actually, I cannot remember seeing another Asian person in a book that I read when I was in elementary school. I remember my mother had to go out to a store and she bought me Korean Cinderella, where it was uh, uh, illustrated by a Korean artist. It was English version, and then it had the Korean translation on the other side. But that, that's the only recollection I have of seeing another Asian character inside of a book. Um, and so we do have Muslim families. We do have um, you know, Hispanic families. And I, I want those kids to be able to say like, hey, that kid looks like me. And I want them to be proud of that. I feel, especially growing up, I grew up in a very, very uh, predominantly white neighborhood. Um, it's interesting the way the my uh, the model minority myth has shifted. It's almost like a roller coaster, and I'm not sure if you've had a similar experience. Whereas when you're younger, you get made fun of for the things that you're supposed to be proud of. So you get the eyes pulled back. You know, people are calling you derogatory names. Once you hit the age where grades matter, now people want to be your friend because you're smart, and so people want your math notes. They want to be your science lab partner. And then um, and fast forward to like the last couple of years, now you're a disease. And so I think at this point, it has kind of shifted again, whereas now we're empowering Asian American voices, but why now? Why are we waiting until now when it should have been happening when we were younger? Mm -hmm. So I've had like a weird up and down, um, I guess, a journey being an Asian American. Um, and just going back to when I lived in Korea, um, I never felt fully Korean. Uh, I, I barely speak the language. Um, I'm very, for those of you that cannot see me, I am darker skinned. Um, and in Korea, that is very shameful for you to have dark skin. Um, I am not a pencil. I am, that's not the shape that I have. <laughs> um, and so that's kind of the desired look for a Korean woman. Um, but then again, in America, I never felt fully American. Mm -hmm. um, I, I never really dawned on me that I was different looking, um, but I felt it. Mm -hmm. um, and my, you know, my family, I love them. They're the only people that I've ever called family. Um, they have never, ever made me feel adopted. Um, and so for that, I will always be eternally grateful. Yeah. That is definitely of meaning for sure. Yeah. I, one of the things I, I was really curious about was, you know, I definitely see you involved in a lot of activism and a lot of um, social justice, you know, type of work. And, you know, how does that sort of coincide with, you know, being in the education field? Because I know, like, I, I was, you know, in the education field um, as well. And it was tough to be able to even get to that point where I could bring my views or bring my beliefs into that work and, and not sort of feel like, 
my job was going to be at risk or that it was going to conflict with other people. And I sort of had to temper that back a little bit more. So how does that sort of resonate with you, your, your activism work along with your education field? Um, I am very lucky to work um, at a school that fully supports social justice work. Um, we are, we're actually starting like a social justice course in 2022, which I am going to be a part of. Um, but uh, like I said earlier, I do work with predominantly black and brown men and women um, from all different backgrounds. And so we encourage uh, that conversation. We encourage that uncomfortable conversation, but, the, that, but that it's necessary and we understand that it's necessary. Um, and so, um, of course, when you know, the when George Floyd, you know, had his life taken from him, our school was, uh, you know, we're supportive. We're right there with them. We are marching in the streets of Newark, of in New Jersey, in New York City. Um, and I, how can I say this? So my this is my personal belief. Um, without Black Lives Matter. Stop Asian hate would not be where it is today at the level of um, like media influence and, and things like that. Um, and so I think if, again, personal opinion, if Stop Asian Hate is going to be something that you say, something that you stand with and support in that same breath needs to be Black Lives Matter. Yep. Um, and regardless of you maybe your personal experience of someone else of a different race without black people period and their history in the united states asian people would not have their place in this country today um and so i think um that is not often talked about um and so because i do teach black and brown children we do have that bond we do have that relationship um and I've also learned to not be silent anymore. So if I do feel, I, again, let me just reverse really quick. Uh, my goal is not to put my opinions onto my kids. So if I say something, it's rooted in education, it's rooted in research. Um, it is not my personal opinion, um, but I do want them to know the history that's not being taught in other schools. Um, and I will be, so appreciative and so grateful that my school leaders allow me to do that. Um, and of course, I, I triple check with them first before I present something just to, to make sure I'm not stepping on any toes. But um, I, I do want my students to understand uh, like the history of, you know, the US and their and their backgrounds, you know, um, that they might not be exposed to when they get older. And again, they're only seven and eight, so it might not, they might not understand everything that I'm saying, um, but at least they'll be, they'll have an introduction to it. Um, and so I've had nothing but full support from my school leaders um, and my coworkers um, in terms of bringing my activism into, into the school. Yeah, that's great. And it's great that you have the platform to be able to do so and not, not a lot of other education systems may have that ability. So that's, that's great that you're taking advantage of that. Um, and I, you know, I, I really, before we kind of transition to the, the last topic that we have, um, I think it, that, that part, it connected with me of just sort of the being silent that you mentioned, because I, you know, that was something that I, I struggled with up to this point of, you know, Hey, like I, I was always taught, you know, by, by my parents, no, don't make waves. Don't, 
you know, don't cause any trouble or else you're not going to have a job or else, you know, whatever is going to happen in my life. And so it was tough because especially with everything that took place, you know, um, this past year, it was like, well, how can I, how do I struggle with that? Of just, I feel all these emotions and, and, and all these feelings and, and not being able to talk about it, not be able to bring it up and not be able to fight for really what I believe in. I, I just couldn't sit with that anymore. And so it had to get to a point where it's like, you know what, things aren't going to change. Things aren't going to get better if I don't at least put myself out there to be able to voice it, to be able to express it and hopefully be able to have a conversation with other people about it to create that spark to change as well. So yeah, thank you for bringing that part of it up. And I think what you said is really important that in a lot of Asian cultures, we are taught to just keep our head down Mm -hmm. um, and not say anything. And while I wasn't raised in an Asian culture, that, that is the, the type of thing we were, you know, taught, like, don't fight back, don't, you know, curse somebody else out, you just, you take it and you walk away. Um, and like you said, I think there just comes a point where how many, how much longer are we going to allow this to happen? So, yeah. Cool. So I love to be able to end with the part about you sharing a little bit more about you know, the, the apparel, um, that you started working on, uh, that was based actually off of a sign that, that you had created, um, when you were going out to the rallies. And, and this is something like, I'm happy to represent. I'm happy to be able to wear because it, it really connects with me from my upbringing and sort of the identities that I identify with. And so I'd love to hear just sort of how it came to be, um, and also where you plan on taking it as well. Um, so in March, I attended um, a BIPOC solidarity rally, and I had made this sign. Um, I also want to say that this is not my original design. If you Google it, you will see multiple versions of this sign. Um, I think that I, I just lucked out that I have nice handwriting, to be honest. Um, and so Um, A few photographers had uh, taken my photo and my good friend, Cindy, she runs um, an Instagram page, uh, Activist NYC. Um, And when she posted it, it was maybe in the middle of 10, 12 pictures that she had posted. And somehow we got close to 25,000 hits. Um, And we're still not sure how that happened like to this day. Um, And so uh, against my better judgment, I did read the comments. Uh, some were very negative that I left out um, a lot of countries. And I hope that people realize I didn't, it was not done purposely. It's just, there are so many letters in American. Um, but that being said, because it is my writing, I am more than happy to customize anything for you. Um, and so someone in the comments had asked if they could have it on a shirt. Um, Long story short, a friend reached out to me, said we could do it. Um, We ended up just kind of giving them away, selling them to close friends and family. Um, And then once we hit the 50, 55 mark, we decided, okay, this looks like it's gonna be a thing. Let's just, let's start start an IG store and and see where it goes. Um, We are completely volunteer run. We are volunteer organized. We are nonprofit, so any sale that is made um, from my end, the money goes directly into the organization that I volunteer for, which is Asians Fighting Injustice. Um, And then on their side, the money goes back into um, materials. So um, in case anyone is wondering, we do not keep any of the money that is is made from the sales. Um, 
we are working on other designs, um, which are all handcrafted from the signs that I do make, um, which then my uh, digital artist, Lily, she turns them into like digital art. So to make it easier for screen printing, um, then Ed, Ed and Vanessa, they screen print. Um, we also use eco-friendly shirts um, and we have done our due diligence to ensure that they are not produced in a sweatshop because that's not something that we believe in. Um, and we are all people of color and we wanted to ensure that it stays that way because what Together We Are Stronger represents is communities of color coming together to be stronger. And if we are going to be stronger, we need to be together. Yeah. Yeah, I, well, it's, I, I, it's like, it's that intentionality behind everything that really makes a difference because I think what, what a lot of times we, we see in the social media, it's like, oh yeah, that looks awesome. That looks cool. But then later on we come to find like, oh, well, this is really the behind the scenes of it. And it's really icky. Um, and so it's just the intentionality that you have is really awesome. And where do you see yourself all sort of taking this moving forward? Because I know you recently, um, you know, created your, your uh, Instagram, um, Together We Are Stronger, and then people can follow you on that. Um, so where do, you, where do you see sort of taking this moving forward? Um, to be honest, it's still so new. Yeah. Um, and so I don't know what kind of future it's going to have. Um, because our end goal is not money. Mm -hmm. I think what we care more about is just spreading love, bringing people together, um, and just, you know, we, we're passionate about this. And so um, our passion may get the best of us, it may not. And so um, we're really just focusing on, you know, just continuing to spread the word, continuing to bring, uh, you know, communities of color together um, and just letting people know that they're not alone. There are so many people that feel like they are the only ones that feel a certain way. Um, and so we just, we want to help uplift and amplify, you know, marginalized voices. And so um, it's really important for us um, to hear everyone's story. And so if you, if you do look at the page, we all share our story. If, if you, if you're willing to, if you don't want to, it's totally fine. Um, and that, that's the whole point of the page is just for not only to show like the, the merchandise, but for people to connect with others. Um, you know, we connected through Instagram and, and look, here we are, you know? Mm -hmm. And so if we can continue to keep doing that, um, that's the work that we care about. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, hey, we, I'm, I'm happy to, to be able to connect with you and, and to be able to, to have met you because I, I think just learning more about you, learning more about what you represent, but also, you know, kind of as a whole, what you're looking to move forward with, like, it, it's been awesome to just um, be able to get to know you and, and definitely stay connected with you. Yeah. yeah, thank you. And if you have any final, you know, remarks before we wrap it up, feel free. Anything you want to plug, shout out, talk about? Um, well, I do want to give a shout out to uh, my the nonprofit that I do um, volunteer with, Asians Fighting Injustice. Um, yes, we are AAPI focused, but we work together with a lot of Black Lives Matter organizations. Um, we are just... Um, we are against anything that involves racism. And so, um, yes, I appreciate you guys having me on. This was like super fun, even though I'm still still nervous. <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I greatly appreciate it. I really do. Of course, of course. Yeah. And, and we definitely 
um, as we offer to all our guests, you know, you're more than welcome to, to you know, jump onto our podcast at any time in the future. We're happy to have you back at any time. Cool. Awesome. Thank you, Kim. Yeah. Thank, thank you. you so much, Kim. <laughs> wow. That was a terrific recording right there. We just finished talking to our guest, Kim. And for those who have listened up to this point, the messages are so powerful and you can just resonate with them. Like, I, it was amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you and I, we, we kind of shared this as well. It's like we, we, at a certain point, we felt so like emotional um, in a way, just because based on what she was sharing, based off of how it resonated with us, um, based on just sort of like how like the values of it really resonate with us as well. And, you know, you know, it may res- resonate with others as well who listen to this. And so I think we, we had sort of two reflection points that we wanted to kind of look back on. And, and that's something I always try to encourage, uh, even for myself, for other people, it's just like anything that you consume, anything that you sort of like are viewing, listening to, um, go back and just take, take a moment to reflect on it. See what it means for you. See how it connects with you. See how you, if you process it a different way after you've had time to kind of think about it, because it, 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 it sort of allows you to really not just take things as they are, but really to take things as like, does it connect with me? Does it challenge me? And do I think differently now because of it? Yeah. Um, the one that I wanted to bring up was, uh, certainly about the food. Um, mm-hmm. just because, you know, when she talked about it, like with, with kimchi or with other foods that she brought up, there was that connotation of, oh, you know, for others, it, it may not look good or may not, it may sound kind of weird, for example. And, and that's something that's really come up, not only like growing up, but also it's becoming so obvious now. Like there's been some flack that's been thrown around to, um, I don't remember who the, like the night show hosts was oh james corden with yeah 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 so where they have like foods and celebrities will try and then they're all like you know the the way they present it it, it, it's a you know it's a type of food that people are used to eating it's it's something that you know people are used to eating in their homes in their Mm -hmm. culture and it's painted into the media to everybody else like oh it looks disgusting or it smells gross or whatever and it's like that's so bad to have that be the case because that's a slippery slope into just sort of how people view that culture how people view foods of that culture which in turn can be how you be- how you view them as yeah. just people and that's something that i'm starting to really be cognizant of and, and sort of want to speak more about because i, I thought about it and I, I shared it with you martin before it's like that was something that was on like fear factor as well like mm-hmm. the show fear factor and i was watching it the other day and it was like dude they're they're eating uh one of the things i remember was like a thousand year old egg and that a thousand year old egg like people were like oh that's disgusting or it smells gross or whatever but it's like dude like chinese people eat that for like breakfast the like mm-hmm. my family even grew up eating it as well with like porridge and yeah. it, it's something that it's so tied to someone's culture that it's so problematic to be able to talk about it, talk about it from the standpoint of like the american view of it as like oh i'm sorry it's not steak or i'm sorry it's not lobster or whatever but it's something that's still meaningful to someone's culture that to give that first impression of oh it's disgusting and to have other people see it that way as well without even having a chance to try it in person see it smell it experience it in person they wouldn't know differently they'll just take it for what it is and that they may not even get to experience that food and come up with their own conclusion of it. And it's crazy because like 
uh, on so the same subject of like smell and taste, like how they said that with the like thousand year old egg. These are the same people that are totally fine with like blue cheese, right? And blue cheese tends to get that same connotation too, but they're like, oh, that's just how it is. And they accept it, which is the appropriate response. But with when it comes to a lot of ethnic foods, if it looks weird or smells different, they're not, it just, it's a lot of negative perception. Like for where the Spill Your Guts, Spill Your Guts show with James Corden, one of the most popular items he has there is cow tongue. And for a lot of Latinos, cow tongue is a prominent food you see a lot in tacos, like tacos de lengua. That's what cow tongue is. And like when it comes to that, no one, like I feel like not many people have a problem, but because it's just a straight up cow tongue that's served on the show, it looks like disgusting or like it's, it's too thick or whatever. It's kind of like people eat that chopped up, just chop it up, marinate it, and it's just any kind of meat. So like I don't understand like the, the hate with it. You brought up, you actually bring up a really great point is that like it's how you present it as well. Yeah. I mean, obviously, if you present it as like a fucking just random tongue, tongue yeah. by itself, like, OK, it's not as, you know, appealing. But well, that's like with anything, like if mm-hmm. like if you just I don't know what other like a chicken leg, right? Like you just cut off the leg of a chicken. You're like, here you go. Obviously, people be like, what is that? But obviously you cook it, you marinate right. it. It's a drumstick right 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 right. right? like why is that considered normal when it's something like this without the same like preparation is considered weird and foreign like i hate the foreign word like yeah oh it's foreign it's like it's foreign to you but we live in a melting pot that is the united states where you can get this if you live in a pretty urban city you can get this down the street Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and and the thing is it's like a lot of times when when you try new foods and you may not even know what it is and it's like you try it's like oh this is fucking delicious this is good yeah. and they tell you what it is and they're like oh like that's what i ate and it's like why does it matter like you just enjoyed it like five minutes ago and like what does it matter are we the same is? people that eat hot dogs and burgers like Yo. <laughs> i'm just saying like or like mystery meat we legit have something called mystery meat Come on, guys. And you think like, oh, it's appropriate because FDA approved. <laughs> but, uh, I, look, FDA approved for sure. But like, what's wrong with all the other foods we eat? Mm-hmm. Like, it's not it's so because it's ground and grinded and like it's like mixed up and you can't really see texture. It's fine because like it looks like a weenie. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's weird. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so. um, unrelated, but kind of related. Uh, <laughs> it made me think about like how with you know sometimes like with even like um growing up in america like with vegetables like they're like oh okay well we're gonna serve broccoli and it's like well if you give me broccoli that's just like you just steamed it it's like it's not that great but then you have like other cultures that like for example like with chinese culture like they'll Mm -hmm. they'll cook up broccoli with something else and they'll make it like super delicious and it's like it's it's it also goes back to how you present it as well and and so if you see a certain type of way the first time and it's like oh it's not that great but then give it a chance like with other cultures they may present it in a different way mm-hmm. or present it in a way that's meaningful to them and you try it you're like damn like this totally changes what i thought about such and such food hey just saying other cultures actually use spice as well Bruh. <laughs> <laughs> but on the same topic growing up watching all the cartoon network and nickelodeon shows that i did as a youth Broccoli, Brussels sprouts, Brussels sprouts, spinach, we're all like, ew, because they're green. Yeah, See, yeah. That has such an influence on kids 
because I, and I, and these are some embarrassing like uh, self harming things I'm gonna tell you guys about myself right now. So just get ready for it. So for like broccoli and Brussels sprouts, because a lot of the shows I watch was like, ill, they're they're disgusting. I would not eat them. And another thing, those same shows said uh, always showed um, female characters eating lettuce in their salads. So for me as a kid, I always thought lettuce were for girls. So there's one oh. time I was served lettuce as a little kid, and my my family still gives me shit for it today. And they like we're like, remember when you were a kid? You was like, yo, I don't want lettuce. That's for girls. I'm a boy. And like, interesting. Yeah, and they always give me shit. I'm kind of like, you could have blamed me for how I thought when I was seven. Mm. Like, come on. <laughs> mm-hmm. Clearly now I love lettuce. I love everything, but it's just yeah. like those things have an influence on you. You know? Yes. Yeah. So yeah, that was that was what stood out to me. Uh, what stood out to you from our conversation with Kim? The inclusivity of schools, like in her, lear- like the learnings and teachings, like I think that was really powerful where she wants to make sure that she can incorporate different people of like colors and backgrounds in the, into the curriculum. So when, the, when her second graders are learning, they see someone in their textbook that looks like them. And that's powerful, right? Because when you can identify with someone on screen or like within your learnings that, that has a connection back to you, it makes you more engaged, makes you more involved, and it makes you realize, oh, this is something that matters to me. It's not just like someone else's stuff that I have to learn, but it's something that connects back to me and my family. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I think being able to have that introduction early on, it, it certainly adds, I don't know, I feel like it adds a new layer to just education where it's it's not so much about, hey, like this is just what we're going to teach you in schools, but it, it, it teaches you experiences it teaches you how to be able to sort of understand other people under under other people's cultures but also how to connect with the world because you know like when you go out to the world it's not just what like a singular um, type of people that you're going to engage with you're going to engage with all types of people and if if you don't appreciate that and understand that then you're going to go out into the world viewing it a certain type of way yeah it teaches you to be more open and accepting early on in your life mm-hmm. where you don't make those mistakes that are going to hurt you in the future right like you don't want a 21 year old who has only interacted with one particular set of people and they move out to LA where there's everyone and they're kind of like it's a culture shock like whoa like that's how I felt going to university like I see mm-hmm. I saw so many people and you know fortunately I like to say I was I was taught to accept people but it was still really weird to see people that did not look like the people I'm used to seeing yeah and it was like, it was great, but I just wish I knew how to like, you know, appropriately talk to and write and be like, I don't know who you are. I don't want to offend you. So I'm just going to keep my distance. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah, I don't know. It was a great episode. I love the format we did for it today. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, hopefully we can be able to have more um, opportunities like this to be able to talk with people about, you know, where they're from, what, what's meaningful to them and be able to have a way where we can introduce them, be able to way to kind of debrief as well. And again, to continue that conversation for, for people to really think critically and think more. Yeah. Hell yeah. And if anyone has something that they want to express, feel free to contact Charlie or I, and we would love to get you on the show. Even Mm -hmm. if it's like, a shorter for shorter form content like we did with Kim today like we're able to make things flexible because the important part is is taking the opportunity to talk to you bring up what's important and you know use this platform to, to share that with the world yep yep
Absolutely. Cool. So, all right. I don't know about you. I'm hungry. Uh, I need to go, <laughs> go take care of some stuff as well. And I know yeah. you're hungry. So yeah, this for us has been uh, a taste of meeting. And so we're happy to be able to have this opportunity to be able to share this with you all. And so continue, take care of yourselves, take care of others, and we'll catch you next time.